0: It's 104 Days to Election Day. Today, Robin talks to Ginny Sassaman about the Gross National Happiness Index, and we tackle organizing our digital files in the Ikigai segment. All this and more on The Let's Game. I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation.
1: Hi, I'm Robin Renee. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. And I've got a fact for you. Vending machines kill four times as many people as sharks per year how's that <laughs> i that's don't know different. how they kill them um, maybe they fall on them maybe they electrocute them but i think that that random fact really has to do with letting people know that sharks don't kill as many people as we think they do or, or
0: that vending Just... machines kill way more people than
1: we think well yeah yeah that's the apparent thing that it's saying
2: I'm trying to think of what you need to say. Just when you thought it was safe to go to the vending area? I don't know. The, <laughs> Just when you
1: thought it was to safe
0: the snack to get a room. clock bar. A snack
2: bar. Yeah, a snack room. I want to know how I'm people select from vending machines. All right. We'll have to investigate. That is interesting, actually. <laughs> well, here's another fact. No one knows why tennis is scored so weirdly. It's my favorite sport, So sort of what I just wanted to find out this thing, and nobody <laughs> knows. It is, it, it's been stable since the Victorian era, and over the centuries, people have had different theories. They've looked at complicated multiplication. They've looked at histories of scoring of other games. They've looked at the measurement of distances between lines of the early courts, and there's no one can really figure it out, so it's kind of lost in time. Uh,
0: i I don't even know how tennis is scored so I thought it was like how many times they let the ball go over the back line or something right
2: No well no when you get your or the you winning missed. system is when you get a point it's not one two three it's fifteen 30 40. Oh, okay. and if they match it if they come up together and it's love it's I mean love is zero it's it's odd okay. so yeah. it's, it's not like one two three it's it's right okay I this, this I shows never knew
0: exactly that. how many times I've played tennis which I think is <laughs> like I can count them on the fingers of one hand and, uh.
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I think probably is a disappointment to my ancestors because I think I think my grandfather and and my grandmother on my mom's side were really big tennis players mm-hmm. and I was just horrible at it I was I was I was the one who if I was in, We did this when I was in high school, me and my girlfriend went to the tennis courts at the college up the street. And there were three courts and we were in the middle court. And when I was returning her serves, I could not hit it into my court. I was always hitting it into the the court to the right of me or to the left of me. And the (laughs) other players were not amused. And then eventually- I I, I played next to people (laughs) like you. (laughs) And then we'll wait, it gets better. And then I think I was trying finally, I finally managed to hit it properly, but it went over the back fence of the tennis courts entirely. And the ball was then immediately covered by a bulldozer doing construction work behind the tennis courts. So that was the end of my tennis career.
1: Uh, so, that's it's <laughs> actually anime that. that you. That, what I'm amazed at and, and find this very happy is that there's something that Wendy does not do well.
0: Oh, if it has to do with hitting a ball with a stick, I suck at it. So Because <laughs> Wendy does
2: so many things.
1: I'm not
0: great. So well. I,
2: I'm not great at tennis either, but I love it for whatever reason. It's just I don't well, know. It has to be
0: better than right. what I like. What I was just <laughs> I was like, hopeless. I was completely
3: hopeless at this.
2: <laughs> so what's um, your fact, Wendy? My fact.
0: Is that my weather we have a weather station and on seven on the nineteenth of July, both last year and this year, it recorded a high of 105 degrees. Oh my God. Yeah. So um that was I was very surprised to see it yesterday. And then this morning on my Facebook memories, I was even more surprised to see a picture of my weather station from a year ago with the same number on it. So it was hot here yesterday. So those are our facts. And um, now we're going into all of the news that we can handle. And oh, my goodness, there's so much.
2: <laughs> well, like at least I can start out by saying that later on in the show, we're going to have a conversation with Ginny Sassaman. And that's going to be all about happiness. Oh, that's good. And, I know and, that. And, Gross national happiness as a measure for the wellness of a group or a country or, oh, or whatever. So Uh-oh. that's um, so you know what like we have lots of unhappy things to talk about. But <laughs> I was going to say
0: we're on a, <laughs> the United States is like three on a scale of zero to one hundred, right?
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> but there is hope, and just we'll get through the news, and then mm-hmm. we'll know there. You know, there's there's other possibilities in the world. So. Okay. <sighs> All right, <laughs> here we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> last week, we lost Congressman John Lewis, which, if you were sleeping last week, you might not have heard that that was everywhere, and it's it's sad because the man was fighting until literally his last breath, and the place is gonna it's not gonna be as as easy to do things now, I think. I think he's going to be missed.
2: He absolutely will be missed. I mean, what a, um, just what a legacy of, uh, for activism, for civil rights, for, uh, I can't, I haven't even fully processed it yet because there's been so much news going on and (laughs) and personal things that I think I've put my um, emotional response to this a little bit on the back burner, but it's coming through Hmm. and it's, um. It's a big, it's a big loss. Um, yeah. They are talking, I mean, some people are talking about the, the, a wonderful way to honor him would be to rename the Pettis Bridge after him. Yes.
0: Um, I, I've signed that petition already. Yeah. So I hope it happens. Yeah. I hope I it happens. Know. All right. The next, the next piece of news um, was this from this morning and today is the, the Monday, July 20th. And um, there was an attack in um, in New Brunswick in North Brunswick, New Jersey. Um, the family of judge Esther Salas, who is on the federal bench in New Jersey um, uh, there, her son was shot and killed and her husband was injured in an attack in, in their home. And the, the shooter was impersonating a FedEx delivery guy. Um, And the weird twist that makes it, that's raising everybody's hackles that I've talked to about this so far is this judge was four days ago assigned to hear about the Deutsche Bank uh, and their involvement with the Epstein case. So, you know, right now it is way too early for any definitive anything, but it sure sounds to me like This is not, you know, a random bullshit thing. This was like a targeted thing.
2: Yeah, it's hard not to think that. And I'm trying to resist saying anything that I don't know enough about right now. But it's really weird. I do know someone who was commenting that this is pretty much right. It's right next door to at least one person I know and you know I know people yeah. in this area and it's yeah. pretty
0: we all know people
2: in this area exactly you know but I mean that exact you know yeah you know, whatever so it's uh yeesh. yeah that's yeah, thing. it is um, yeah
1: it's it's we don't want to jump to conclusions and start spreading uh you know theories but crazy theories but it's just the purposefulness the directness of a guy dressed as a as a fedex person ringing the bell and then pulling out a gun and shooting the person who answers the door that's pretty obviously there's something there
0: hopefully we will find out about this at some point and and the the perpetrators are brought to justice Mm. that would be nice and, um, okay, so okay. <laughs> so <his> more <laughs> weird news next on next on where we're quickly limiting the, the limits of what I can handle. So Portland, uh, Portland, <laughs> Yes. Portland is has uh, unmarked federal agents. I mean, I know what I'm saying unmarked, they're in camouflage with no insignia or name tags or badges or anything to distinguish them as police in any way that they're wandering around portland ostensibly protecting federal buildings and monuments but what they're doing is they're just pulling people off the street and throwing them into unmarked vans which under other circumstances i suppose is kidna- is considered kidnapping mm-hmm. and and then they're being held with no right now right now they're also the people who they've been picking up have been have been released at least the ones that we know about, but they're not told why they were detained. They don't, They don't say they don't identify themselves as police and they don't. And they, they just kind of just grab people off the street. And this is, you know, this is fucking
2: Soviet Russia stuff. (laughs) This is, this is bullshit. And think uh, of any of these things. This is the one that has really had me unsettled the most in the last week, it's, it's, uh yes. it's a progression of a type that is very chilling to me.
0: Well, yeah. And, and that's also because we're hearing from, you know, the people running these, these operations, like the acting head of the DHS or, or whatever, that they're, that this is, that this is a, they're going to be deploying similar things in other cities. So this is something that that we need to really watch. And I I don't even know what else to do. I mean, I guess get a hold of your representatives in Congress, because this is not this is this is not how our country is supposed to work.
2: Right. I'm very I'm very uh, grateful for the people that have documented it so far to help people really see what's happening. And they have more courage than I have to be out in the street with this happening, you know, there's two
0: congressional committees that are supposed to oversee a lot of this stuff. And, you know, the president, the executive branch does not have unilateral power to do this. They don't have a legal standing to do this. And, and the ACLU has sued already um, the city of, uh, of Portland and the state of Oregon have also sued the government. And I'm not sure if, i don't know i you know they have to do something you know what are we supposed to do i mean are we supposed to you know take up arms and then fight our own our own federal police force is that what you know i mean we we're trying to do legal stuff before we have to you know before there's a civil war but this is this is like this is how you get a civil war you know this is a blatant violation of the Constitution. They're they're pulling they're arresting people without charging them with things. This is yeah. not what a democracy
2: does. No, it's not it's not normal. And and um, you know, I, I agree. I mean, I want to go through the usual means of using your voice in whatever way we can right now. And just making people aware of it. I think I think the more people that see this, the better. You know, and a lot of people are checked out and not paying attention. But yeah, I
0: mean, and this, we this need huge. to stop it before, you know, before they put before they do this in New York and Philadelphia and, and every other, you know, quote, blue, blue city, unquote. Right. This this is this has to stop. And, and I'm not sure how to stop it, but it has to stop. Yeah. And OK, and we still have covid happening. <laughs> <laughs> And we're just going to talk very briefly about all of the
2: horrible things that are happening about with COVID. <laughs> and um, we're going to get to happiness at some point, yes, in the soon, show. we promise. <laughs> I, I,
0: need, I need it just as much as the rest of us. As of last week, the CDC is no longer collecting data from the, is not doing any more COVID-19 data collection from hospitals. Uh, the, all of that information is going directly to uh, the NIH now, which is more or it's going right to the to the COVID task force at the White House. And they're going to like tell us we're
2: going to have to right. trust them that they're telling us the truth. The, the CDC is just getting bypassed, like their information yes. is not allowed to be sent to them anymore. And
0: so not only be... that, they pulled their they pulled their dashboard down like within 24 hours after that announcement happened. And it was put back up as far
2: as I know. Oh, was it? Yeah, okay. I so that back. was like some. I think the outcry was immediate about the the previous information being just gone. Oh, okay. So, but they're just thought, not updating it anymore. That's what I understood. Yeah. Okay. Well,
0: I also I got an understanding uh, that the John Hopkins dashboard does not has never and does not rely on data from the CDC in the first place. So they're probably getting their data directly from hospitals and 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 states so
1: so that becomes a workaround?
0: Yeah. The John Hopkins
1: dashboard
0: is still is I, I'm ho I am assuming that that, that that information is accurate. I am also assuming that my state information is accurate, although <sighs> which brings me into what yeah the the next COVID data point. There was a I guess this was on Twitter and somebody posted uh, two side-by-side pictures of Georgia of their dashboard and and the writing in there in just 15 days, the total number of COVID-19 cases in Georgia is up 49%. But you wouldn't know it from looking at the state's data visualization map of cases um, because the date, the map looks very, very similar in terms of of the, the colors of, you know, they color code everything. So, but if you look at the actual numbers in this particular graphic like for example the the first pale blue for counties would is two weeks ago it was one to 620 and now it's one to 949
1: yeah so they changed the key
0: they changed they changed how how the numbers interpreted yeah so they're they're doing some some really sleazy fudging of the data to keep people from from knowing how serious things are. And so you're really, you know if you're in a if you're in a state like and I and I and I also believe that that in Florida, the governor is just not reporting numbers publicly. and um, and as as has been, becoming more and more apparent as we get more and more data, we are seeing that that this disease is affecting the Black, Indigenous, and POC communities at a higher rate than it is white communities.
2: Yeah, that I've been hearing for a while. And I mean, I saw a statistic from Maine, I think, <laughs> where I don't remember the percentage of POC, but it's very small, yes, in <laughs> Maine, but twenty five percent of the of the COVID cases. Oh wow! Yeah, so they're certainly scary. not twenty five percent of the population up I, I know. there. No, no, not by a long shot. So it, yes, it's scary, it's, and and it's and I I think it speaks to a lot of. Well, it really just puts a fine point on the on the different strata that people are living in societally, yeah, and the jobs that people are in that are you know considered. Essential. essential you know and yeah. people haven't been able to take care of themselves in the way that others have been fortunate to to. so it's this is all the news i can handle right now yeah, yeah, <laughs> i'm sorry I think, I think we're done i think we're done <laughs> it's a it's a lot but i think it's good to keep doing the best we can and speaking out when we can and i don't know what all good it does sometimes but we're trying Hello. We want to thank you so much for listening to The Leftscape and for being someone out in the world thinking about, talking about, and crafting the shape of progressive conversation. We love creating this show for you, and we hope you find value in the discussions we bring to the table. If you do, please take a moment right now, go to your Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. If you can, make it five stars. Good reviews really help us reach more people engaged in politics and culture like you. Thanks so much for helping us get the word out about The Leftscape. Hi, this is Robin Oaks, educator, activist, writer, all around by Diva. You are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation.
3: This podcast is sponsored by not looking at the news until after 5 p.m. Working at home? Want to get anything done today? Maybe you should consider not looking at news until after 5 p.m. Daily users report lower blood pressure and higher productivity. On sale now, wherever and whenever you have the discipline. And now, back to our podcast.
2: I am here with Ginny Sassaman. Uh, Ginny is a co-founder and past president of Gross National Happiness USA. She created the Happiness Paradigm as a platform for teaching, writing about, and advocating for greater personal happiness and creating systems change for maximum well-being for all. Since 2013, she has served as a lay teacher in Unitarian Universalist churches on these topics. And a book of 16 of these sermons called Preaching Happiness Creating a Just and Joyful World was just published in May, 2020 by Rootstock Publishing. So it is really great to have you here.
3: Thank you, my pleasure to be with you today.
2: <laughs> awesome. So um, I'm curious to hear a little bit about your background and how
3: you came to want to teach and preach happiness. Well, uh, what a great place to start. So I kind of think it was fate that I was meant to do this all along, but it took a long time to get here. I grew up in central Pennsylvania, ended up moving to Washington DC, very political, working for um, Common Cause and the Women's Legal Defense Fund. Then I was an artist for 20 years and moved to Vermont. And then I got a master's in mediation. And by this time, I'm well along in life Still very politically oriented, I was very, very distressed, as uh, I think many people are, um, by income inequality and greed. Mm. And would look around me, and it would seem that most of what's broken in this in this country um, has to do with greed. And um, Money and uh, income inequality and the wrong values. So, in that context, one day I picked up a book called "The Geography of Bliss," and the Geography of Bliss um, goes to visit all the happiest countries in the world. There's actually data. There's data on which countries are happier than others, and one of the countries is Bhutan, Hmm. and. Tan is the country that first started this new concept of gross national happiness. And when I read about that, it was like a lightning bolt from the sky. I was immediately taken with this concept. um, The idea that we collectively, and, and in our own personal lives too, but collectively could measure the success of our society by these holistic measures of policies that support well being for everybody rather than just gross domestic product, which only counts how much money changes hands. Um, it seemed just a completely brilliant idea. And uh, then I ran into some other people who were thinking the same way and we started a movement. Um, so I came into this happiness. Uh, world from a systems point of view. Mm-hmm. I was most concerned with, how do we make life better for everybody? But from that, I started studying personal happiness and the science of happiness. And um, also was taken by that, that there are so many things that each one of us can do to help be, to help be happier ourselves and also create a better world for others. And um, I came to believe that cultivating our own personal happiness is really one of the most altruistic things we can do. You know, whatever we do in life, it helps us do it better, really helps us be better people. Um, And then one day um, I go to uh, the Unitarian Church of Montpelier. And one day I was asked if I would be interested in giving a sermon as a layperson, And I said, sure. And I discovered I like being in the pulpit. <laughs> it's a fun place to be. Because when people come, I, I feel like in general, nobody wants to get preached at, you know, don't, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Except when they, when they come to hear a sermon, then they are looking for something. They you know, it could be many different things, but they want something. And um, so I've been writing these sermons and delivering them. And at some point realized it was also a book. Mm -hmm. And and it's funny that it came out now, because I feel like now, it's needed more than ever. (laughs) That was my question.
2: My next question was, you know, I I feel like, Happiness can really be hard to come by for a lot of people right now. You know we've got a pandemic where there's racial unrest, there's an environmental crisis, you know that a, a lot of people are saying, you know we've got to pay attention to this too. It might be invisible to a lot of people, but it's really important. Um, so there's so much for people to worry about, you know, so how do you feel about this coming out right now, and what what is its um, right. potential? Yeah.
3: Right, I mean, I'm I'm certainly distressed about all those things as well. Um, And have been, you know, for a long time. I mean, the pandemic is new to me, but the other issues are not brand new, you know. Seriously. They've been around for a long, long time. Um, So what I think is this, it's not an either or. We humans are capable of carrying both at the same time. And um, I believe that um, most of us, most of the time can find some joy and we can find beauty. We can find connection. We can ourselves um, be kind to others, which makes us feel good and also makes them feel good. There are many, many things we can do to cultivate happiness within ourselves, and then also share that um, with others. Uh, I'm not one of these people who believes, uh, you might see like posters or memes or things that say, happiness is an inside job. Well, it is to an extent, but only to an extent. It is Mm -hmm. both an inside and an outside job. I went to a conference in uh, Miami a couple of years ago in 2017, shortly after Trump became president, and the head of the Miami-Dade school system was supposed to give an address on happiness to -hmm. this group. And he said, how can I talk about happiness? He said, my kids come to school every day worried about whether their parents are going to be picked up by ICE and deported while they're Mm -hmm. in school. So there's very, very real systems pressures on all of us and on some people more than others that makes happiness harder, a lot harder, but it's still there, it's still there. And for those of us who are more fortunate to not have to worry about ice knocking on the door, You know, I live in a place with a lot of outdoor space, which makes it easier during a pandemic. Those of us who are more privileged, to me, um, we also need to be happy so that we can be better activists and advocates on behalf of those who are less fortunate and less privileged.
2: Mm -hmm. So Gross national happiness is like an overall measure of this. Correct. You know, I want to get into the the details of how to cultivate happiness in oneself too, but I'm curious about this overall sort of uh, measure.
3: Right. So my favorite way to um, describe, I call it G and H for short, gross national happiness, um, is if we think about um, how we might measure well being in our own individual lives so when we measure well-being we might indeed consider our income you know do, our, do we have enough money to you know pay for our rent to pay for our food you know to pay for our basic lives so money is part of a measurement of success but it is only part you know each of us would have different sets of measures but do we have friends Do we, you know, do we have loved ones that we take care of? Do we, do we take care of our bodies? Do we take care of our souls? What's important? You know, some people might want to be learning a language. Some people might want to be out working on campaigns, working for change. I mean, we all have different goals, but money in each of our own personal lives is just a piece of it. I hope. I hope. There may be some people who don't care about anything but money, but basically it's just a piece. That should be true for us as a country as well. Mm -hmm. Do we need a vibrant economy? We need a vibrant economy. But should we also be looking at climate justice? Should we be looking at white supremacy? Should we be looking at taking care of... um, Uh, our children, I mean, I don't know about where you are, but in my state, we do not have adequate childcare. Should we be looking at having good public schools for everybody and elder care and healthy food, supporting our farmers, I mean, all these things. To be a successful, thriving country, our measurements should be holistic and inclusive. And instead, really, in this country, the main measure is GDP.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: GDP, GDP, GDP. And um you know, GDP was never even meant to measure the well-being of a society. but it's easy. you know, it's shorthand, but it doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the money, as we know, in this country, is just in the hands of a few people. And they can exchange that money back and forth, and it will look really good for the GDP. And it means nothing about the overall well-being for us as a as a country. Right. So you so, said Bhutan has Bhutan used it okay. Bhutan is where it first started. And they had a king at the time. And actually, um they had been an isolated country, and they were emerging from isolation. And a reporter asked the king, So what's your your gross domestic product or your gross national product? And the king said, I don't care. I care about the gross national happiness of my people. And they then proceeded to institute this system. They um, interviewed all the citizens to learn what is it that people in Bhutan need to be happier, and then they make all their policies based on, they came up with nine key areas and then lots of different indicators within those areas. So Bhutan is doing it. It's still new, and of course, they're not a perfect country because there's no such thing, Um, but it's being done other places that are more Uh, diverse. So my two favorite examples right now are New Zealand. New Zealand, they don't, they basically have this framework in place. They don't call it that. They call it the well-being index, but it basically is a gross national happiness paradigm. All policy decisions have to be made through this prism of the many, many ways that support well-being for all, not just the money thing. And right now in Charlotte, North Carolina, there is a group of people coming together with both the the city and the surrounding county. So charlotte Mech and they are working on the Charlotte Well-Being Index. Um, yeah, I was thinking
2: it might work initially better or more often in a smaller Place, you know, a city or, you know, uh, to get a whole country to adopt this is, it sounds a little far fetched for the United States for sure right now, but it's great that it's happening in some places. New Zealand
3: sounds like they're really doing well. And I, right. well, two things I have to say about that I am not sure it's far fetched for the United States, okay. just because we're in a time that is crying out for major change this is true major change mm-hmm. and so there sometimes major change can happen when things are just so in such turmoil and the thing about the G&H approach is it's actually very pragmatic you know it's it's get, I, I, I know it's a leap to get there for us right now but it could happen because it's not it's just saying we're going to measure things differently. You know, it's not saying everybody has to turn into an angel. Right. Overnight. <laughs> Still, right now, it might happen in smaller places more easily. Right, yeah. right.
2: So, um, would you share a few points from your book? Um, you know, or something that stands out to you, or a few of the uh, your favorite teachings in
3: there? Um, I'd be happy to. Um, so, I think for me. My favorite um, happiness tool because I find it to be most effective is having a meditation practice.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, that to me, that's another thing which is available to anybody. Um, well, almost anybody. If you're stuck at home in this pandemic with small children or other, you know, particularly needy people, that might be challenging. But Meditation and going inside is a tremendous tool, and I I actually teach meditation, but I teach it very much in a secular fashion. N- you know, it it can be a spiritual practice for those who wish to make it a spiritual practice, but it doesn't have to be. It's really available to anybody, including fairly young children. Mm. Um, relationships are key. Uh, you don't have to have a lot of relationships in your life, but um, but a few strong, healthy, good relationships are helpful. Um, I talk about, in my book, I tell stories to help make it real to people. So for example, I talk about a time a few years ago when um, I unexpectedly, I was at the eye doctor and found out I had a condition in my left eye that might mean I would go blind in a matter of months
1: Mm.
3: without getting these painful eye injections. And that was very upsetting. (laughs) That was um, traumatic. It's all all right now. But what I realized in that time is how connected happiness and sadness are. So, nobody is talking about being happy, you know twenty four, seven. That's impossible. That would be unhealthy. And I feel like one one way of building up our happiness that might seem surprising is actually also to allow us ourselves to be sad. When there's times to be sad and we give in to it and we grieve and we cry, That gives us more space to then be happy and to be joyful and to be playful and to be positive and upbeat. And the reverse is also true. By being happier and playful and more upbeat, then when you need to be sad, that's okay. So the relationship between those two is key. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Um, It's like getting to
2: a place of authenticity.
3: Authenticity is lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Exactly. To me, um, living the happy life is really about thriving. It's about being our best, but it's not about a false life. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not about putting on a happy face when that is not what you feel at all. Mm -hmm. It's just feeling it more often. (laughs) Right, right. So, So what are some of the things,
2: some of the everyday things that people can do right now? to get to a better, a more place, a, hap, a place of happiness?
3: So there's a lot, but one is to look for the good. To look for the good. There's a lot of negative coming our way these days, mm-hmm. but there is also a lot of good. Um, when we, you know, it's interesting, we as humans cannot take everything in. We're just incapable. There's so much stimuli. We cannot possibly take it in. If we make a commitment to ourselves to look more for the positive, we will see more of the positive. We will be more open to the positive. And that will help us to rewire our brains. I mean, this is a lot about brain science, actually. There's a lot of scientific research in here. Um, But the more we connect with the positive, the more our brains are gonna want us to do that again and again and again. So just one small example. Yesterday, I actually had to go get another shot in my eye yesterday. And um, on the way home, I I stopped to get a takeout sandwich. So I was standing outside, you know, curbside only, and it started to pour. I mean, it was pouring and pouring and pouring. And the canopies that they had set up to keep people dry collapsed because the rain came down too hard. So we were all out in the rain. And I looked at it and thought, well, this is kind of fun. <laughs> it was just fun. It was silly and it was fun. Yeah. So
2: I like embracing the weather.
3: You yeah, know, there you it, go. It's, it's
2: happening. You gotta just be in it. And it's you know, be funny
3: nature sometimes. being closer to nature is another really, really important way to be happier. And I think it many of these, it's a circle. The more that we, for example, can be close to nature and appreciate nature and love nature. You know, nature will give back to us, but not always, sometimes. Sometimes it'll be a hurricane and we don't like that. But basically, nature gives us so much. And when we give back, you know, it's wonderful. And that also builds in us the desire to more protect nature the desire to work to um, ameliorate climate change. Mm -hmm. Gratitude too. I must say gratitude. I know we all hear about gratitude. It's been around, you know, Oprah talked about a gratitude journal, But but the truth is that science supports it. Science supports it. That the more that we can spend our lives being in a place of gratitude, when you're when you're feeling grateful, you just are not going to feel unhappy, you know. And um, so, one thing that anybody could do, I think anybody, I, but most of us can do, is to, to have some kind of a gratitude journal, regularly noting what you're grateful for. Actually, is elevating, it makes us feel good. Mm-hmm. I've been in some online groups where
2: we share things like every morning and just talk about what you're grateful for and it went for a long time it sort of has petered out a bit but it it had a really long time frame of uh, just a couple of good friends just
3: sharing with each other and I bet that was it helpful be- it was useful yeah. it sounds beautiful it sounds yeah, yeah. beautiful yeah. I was in one of those two on a virtual one
2: mm-hmm. it was
3: great to not only um, Share your own gratitudes, but to see what other people were grateful for, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. well. Exactly.
2: So, t- if you wanted to apply some of this to doing activist work, yes, I'm curious about that because um, I've heard about the um, what is it called? Engaged Buddhism, ah, uh, ah, uh-huh. where uh-huh. you are in in a Buddhist practice, but at the same time working toward things that you, I mean, in one sense, want to see change, but are really not attaching to outcome in that sort of Buddhist way. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting mix of how to do a practice. So I'm wondering if you have tips about
3: mm, well, your it, take on it. That is chapter three of the book. Okay. I mean, I am an activist myself, mm-hmm. um, always have been. Um, and uh, so in, I write specifically about um, a number of different things that can help help us be better activists. Because again, I think activists can feel like there's no time to be happy because there's so much wrong with the world. Mm-hmm. When in fact, again, our being happy can help. One thing it can help us do this comes from the um, Buddhist um, teacher Jack Cornfeld. Jack Cornfield. Yep. He writes about how when that we it can each of us be a beacon in the world. You know, we can be a beacon of light. We can be a beacon of love. We can be there to help others. That's one thing. I also feel like happy people Uh, generally speaking again, but can be more likable, I think that makes us more powerful bearers of our message. So I think we can be more effective activists if we're more likable. Not the same as saying, don't be angry, but being likable. But there's some specific things. There's um, um, happiness builds our resilience also extremely important. Um, We take lots of hits. We have lots of losses. And we have to somehow be able to bounce back and keep going and keep going and keep going. So practicing these different happiness skills builds your resilience. And we need resilience as activists. Um, It also builds or another Another key trait, this actually builds resilience, which is optimism. Optimism is extremely helpful. Now that's another word that I think people can react a little little negatively to because optimism is seen as just like, oh, everything's gonna be wonderful tomorrow. So not that, grounded optimism. Optimism based in reality. Optimism that says we can win, but it's going to take a lot of hard work to get there. It's going to take a lot of time to get there. And what will winning look like? What will happen when we get there? But grounded optimism. And optimism is actually a quality that can be cultivated. We're not born pessimists or optimists. We're not born either one. And we can grow our optimism. Um, And another one. I love this. This is this is maybe a little um, a little geeky, but there's a
2: we like interview. geeky on the show.
3: <laughs> okay, there's a theory called broaden and build. Okay, and that um, and it's a researcher from North Carolina, Barbara Fredrickson, who discovered that the more we practice positivity, the more we broaden our resources so that we can build on those. It's kind of like the family that plays together, can stay together, or activists who do art together, or activists who do music together can continue the the harder um, work together. Um, Positivity, more positivity makes us more creative. We need to be creative. We need to be really creative. and better problem solvers. And, you know, problem after problem gets thrown our way. And one more thing that I think is especially helpful for um, activists. Um, so a group of scientists in the Philadelphia area uh, with Martin Seligman from the University of Pennsylvania and others, they spent several years researching a um, Uh, strengths, strengths in people. And what they came up with, they came up with a list of 24 universally admired virtues and strengths. So we all have all of these 24. But for each of us, there's some of these that rank really near the top. Those are our personal signature strengths. And you can find these out by going online to VIA, the Virtues in Action um, uh, Institute, and they just have a quick little online survey you can take. Anyway, when we're facing tough days, tough choices, tough work, tough situations, if we can come from one of our strengths, we are happier and we do better. So that's another cool thing that it's really, really helpful to know. So for some people that might be, their strength might be humor. So they might bring humor to a situation or some people it's leadership or some people it's love or kindness, but coming from a place of strength makes us more effective. Nice.
2: So your book is Preaching Happiness, Creating a Just and Joyful World.
3: And where can people find it? So people can, you sh, you sh, can go into any of your local independent bookstores, and they can order it. It's being printed on demand. So any independent bookstore has it, and they could also order on Amazon. It's on okay. Amazon. That's a good secondary choice. Right? Exactly. That's how I feel, too. <laughs> right. I know a lot of people use Amazon. I, I would say support your local bookstore if you can but it's also on amazon nice nice and where are you teaching are you teaching online right now or how is that going i'm teaching a meditation class online the uh i've been actually preaching in churches and um the unitarians are not having in-person church right Mm -hmm. now but i will be i'll be leading a couple, I have one service scheduled in a couple of weeks in Massachusetts. Um, So I'll keep doing that. I love doing that. (laughs) It's better in person, but we can't do that right now.
2: We're all, yeah, we're all working on it, right? You know, right now, figuring out the different choices. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking with you.
3: Thank you so much. And I wish you a lot of happiness and drop me an email if you want for their pointers or coaching. Awesome. This podcast
0: is sponsored by wearing pants during video conferences. You tell
3: yourself you won't stand up. You promise yourself you won't stand up. Then you forget and you stand up. Next time, try... Wearing Pants During Video Conferences, on sale now wherever webcams are sold. And now, back to our
1: podcast.
0: Welcome to Ikigai, where we kind of talk about business things and and, you know, fulfillment things, you know, personal fulfillment, goal setting, that kind of stuff. And uh, I guess today we want to talk about organizing our digital lives. So, um, and this came about because this morning I spent way too much time deleting old emails to clear up space on my google drive which was giving me messages like saying oh you know you're almost full and once it's full you're not going to be able to get email anymore and it's like (laughs) that's a scary that's a scary thought you know if i if all of a sudden my email is is shut off because of my mailbox being full uh there's you know i'm not getting work i'm not communicating with my business people um i've
1: had that happen
0: Oh, yeah, and, and I've tried emailing people whose mailboxes are full or, or leaving a voicemail message because, yes, I am that old that I do leave voicemail messages occasionally uh, where there's a full mailbox and it's very frustrating. So yeah. it's gotten to the point where my email is – if you think about it as, as piles of paper on your desk, it is, it is to the sky piled up like more – email than I can possibly look through and sort through in the rest of whatever time I have left on this planet right
1: (laughs) so what do you do about that then what's Uh, a quick way to do it Well, I search for well
0: you know I look for there's certain people or organizations that email more than once a day and you find that address and you search on it and you delete all of them.
1: Delete a page at a time. I delete
0: 15,000 emails at a time. You can I, do that? Yes.
1: Is this Gmail?
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to turn into a Gmail tutorial. <laughs> yeah, that's thing. Actually, some of the practical things are helpful. So you just click... Um, no, you yeah, know, all with, of the, all the emails, right. And you just type in it.
1: well when, when I click that, it clicks all the ones that are, that it's showing, like if it's showing them 50 at a time or something, right? Now, well, I still have to go through the next, no, 50, and the next 50.
0: No, you don't. You no? don't have
1: to. Um, it depends.
0: I got, I will, I don't know. I don't know when the last time you did it, but today when I did it, I had, I selected, I did a search. And I had to modify it because I, for example, I was searching on LinkedIn because, you know, LinkedIn is another one of these places that sends you email constantly. Yeah. And and I think there were probably 14,000 when I just did LinkedIn, it gave me 14,000 emails or so. And but some of them were like from PayPal and some of them were, I don't know, it must have had LinkedIn in the text in the inside the email. So it came up in the search. So I had to refine it. I said, Mm linkedin.com to get rid of, and it, and it had to be from them. So you have to make sure it's an email from them. And then once you say, once you select everything on that page, there was a, a little bit of, of text that showed up at the top that said, uh, this is also, you know, would you like to select all of the conversations that meet this cr- search criteria? Cause it says 13,000 blah, 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 other conversations. And I said, yes. And then it selected all of them. And then I clicked trash Ooh. and it
1: throws them all. Into I've the trash. Never seen that. And That's then crazy. you can throw it out. Yeah. Unfortunately, my email comes to me on my Mac through GoDaddy. Yeah. And so it's not Gmail. It's GoDaddy. And, and uh, it doesn't have that feature. So I have to go 50 at a time.
0: Well, you could you could use Gmail. You can have everything forwarded to Gmail if you want Well, then
1: I have two of everything. And actually, I have done that. And uh, I've ended up having three of everything, and four of everything. So it's oh, a lot of email.
0: <laughs> well, you know, so that's what I, I've done. Um, and I've actually. I've
1: yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask you, what do you do to make this fun?
2: Um, cleaning up. It's not necessarily fun to me, but it's satisfying. Yeah. You know, I feel like keeping order or, or, or creating order in my life feels, um, well, satisfying is a, is a word, but also, um, I feel like, I guess it's almost like a, like an as without, so within kind of a thing. If my environment is messy, like my external environment, I feel a lot of discord and it's really hard for me to focus and get things done. And I think email in a way it's hidden because you can just, I can just look at my top 20 emails that I'm trying to deal with, but mm-hmm. they're still piling up and there's still that sort of tension of like, I really would be better off. Getting rid of a lot of the extra things, where I feel like I might be missing something or forgetting something because it's gone too far down. So, like going through that, um, really does feel like progress. That's that brings about some mental peace, also, you know. And I don't do it enough, and it is something that I would like to develop more of a um, more of a clearer pattern of making sure I'm getting rid of things and and keeping order digitally, but. Um, so it's not fun, but it's really helpful. It's helpful to my mind <laughs> to to get through it.
0: Yeah, it's it. When you're done with it, you have a a feeling of satisfaction. So, but I wouldn't call it fun.
1: <laughs> well, no, I was saying what to make it fun, like play music while no. you're doing it. No? no, no,
0: I don't try to make it fun. I am not. I'm not a a Mary Poppins kind of gal. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i you know that's it. i i don't usually have music on anyway but um i just get bored really fast well yeah it's mm-hmm. it, you know it's sort of it, i guess it would be the interesting thing is coming up with learning how to use the search terms properly to get the right data set to to delete Mm-hmm. And, and then just deciding like, well, maybe if something that was, and then you think about, okay, what if there's something important that you just deleted, which is always, which is always a paranoia, yeah. which is why I end up keeping more things than I need. Um, so then yeah. I have to re- that's why, that's why I start thinking about refining my search results. And that, you know, is a little bit of a mental challenge, but usually I, I really wish this, I could automate this better. And I know, you know there're people who are way better with um with scripting and and search terms and and coming up with uh and what i mean by search terms is how to use um regular expressions that's the word mm-hmm. i have friends that are really good at that and if i was really good at that i could come up with some sort of weird regular expression thing to just filter stuff automatically and then i wouldn't have to worry about it either i'm not i'm not that lazy to to learn all of that
2: <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. I, I think I might have ideas about a guest that could help us do some of this or <laughs> yeah. learn some practical tips about this at some point. That would be and you a, know
1: what else really we need to find thing. out about is how to not get all the junk mail in the first place.
0: Oh, well, I sign up for things on purpose so yeah. I can read an article or, or, so, or I get another 10% discount on my first order if I give up my so. email.
1: Well, actually, what I'm saying is to go back in and unsign up for things, unsubscribe. I have, there's an
0: unsubscribe tool that I subscribed to. um, (laughs) I I, I, I said that like that on purpose. And and if I use that, it would go through and it would either give me a digest of a bunch of different mail or it would get rid of a bunch of different mail or it would auto unsubscribe me from stuff. And Google actually bugs me about stuff. They go, well, you know, you haven't opened any mail from this seller in six months. Do you want us to just spam this? And I can either say yes or no. And I usually say no.
1: Oh, that's pretty
0: good. You know, it's, it's, there are automated tools there. Um, but I'm just too, it's my, you know, fear of missing out on a sale or something stupid like that.
2: Mm. Right. Yeah. I th- I feel like for most of the things that I've signed up for, well, some of them, they just trick you. Like if you, if you want to comment on X or read Y, like you need to sign up for something or whatever, you know, right. so that's, I, I, I've caught into those types of things but also often it is something that I have an interest in and would like to look at this mailing list that gives you writing opportunities every day or this, um, whatever. There's a lot of different types of things that are nominally useful, but in practice, I'm not going to, that's not the avenue I'm actually gonna take to get to that point, whatever that thing is, you know? Yeah.
0: I get the, I have those, I have a big pile of those too. And, it, and it's like, I see the email and, and, you know, since you get like the first, like the header, like the title of the email and maybe the first sentence of the yeah. email in the, in the list, you kind of look at it and you go, yeah, I might want to look at that when I'm not busy. And then like three weeks go by and it's on page three of your email stuff. So right, right. it never gets looked at. And, and the first time I had to clean out stuff, I was I mean, I've had this Gmail account probably since Gmail started. So that's at least 10 years, I think, right? Is it at 10 least. years now? Oh, at least. At least. Yeah. And, and I have mail that is that old. Wow. You know, uh-huh. I mean, at this point, it's like a personal correspondence from a friend, but it's, it's probably 15 years old. And, um, and i do I do feel a little bit of uh concern for historians of the future <laughs> who might have you know for some reason, if they're researching me or or somebody like me that they need that they're gonna say, well what, let's look at their email and you see these eighty thousand emails <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> actually, All of them.
0: I don't know they're they' I'm uh, hoping they'll have uh better sorting tools.
2: <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, well, I aspire to create, there should be something that makes this simple, you know? So if you create a rule for yourself that every Sunday at, I'm going to delete certain number of emails or this whole entire category, I realize I'm not going to be responding to. So let me get rid of all of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like those are, I would like to get to that kind of place. And I don't feel like I have a massive email problem yet, but it's one of those things that nags at me. Like it's one of the things I want to keep in balance. And yeah. it's sort of like, I, I definitely have a sense of like, there's certain personal emails that I've been not answering because I have to put it maybe put that in a different category like I have my my menager music email account that gets other things that I want to just personally respond to and it doesn't something's missing like I'm missing I'm missing things because it gets piled up you know yeah. so I'm want to work on like creating categories or maybe maybe it is like a sorting thing where I know I can click and see like anything that's like from a certain people certain group of people that are just like friends. Like it'll be in one box, you know, mm. and I don't have to search for everything or right. try to remember. Wait, did that person email me, or did I email that person back? And that's you know, that's not practical, right? Oh, so that's I mean, something. Google and I know it's a bizarre. doable thing. I think Google could does it easily, and that's something I haven't really. But learned. they've
0: also they've also um, done things like it seems to. Yeah, I guess if there's like a, a conversation of more than one or two emails. Um, And maybe it's also looking at the content because I get something like you haven't responded to this email in five days. Do you want, is this something you need to look at? And it'll put something that's been way below the fold uh, back up at the top. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. I've seen that. You Mm -hmm. know, that, that has been convenient. Um, And I'm also thinking about um, other kinds of digital files, like, um, you know like like all of my work files that you know of artwork or of writing or or text files or lyrics or whatever, um, you know they're over time they've gotten scattered amongst you know different hard drives and and you know because every time you upgrade your computer or at least for me, every time I upgrade my computer, well especially in the old desktop days, I would have, like my C drive and then I would need to replace it. So I would either make the C drive an auxiliary drive, or I'd call it, you know, and and then I would have like a few hundred gigabytes of random shit on this thing. And then I pull it onto the new drive and I call it like old C drive. And then there's this whole directory under there. I have, like I said, it's, it's like my digital life is just as unorganized as my paper life and it's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> well that sounds like a
2: clear thing like let me on this day consolidate my lyrics.
0: Yeah, but it's but then you know? and it's also but that means it's it it turns into like the exact same thing when you start sorting through papers. You know, you find this old notebook of your journal, and instead of just filing it on the shelf, you saying, "I'm going to read this whole thing." Oh. <laughs> so, so three hours later, yeah, no, that's that a discipline thing. That's project. like, you, like today's task is getting it all in one folder, right? But it's like, did I name these things properly? You know, it might have made sense to you when you named the file, yeah. But now, five years later, you're looking at it like, what the fuck is this? And you open it up and it's like, you know, 15 story ideas or something. So, but then you have to open it up and look at it to know what the fuck it is. It is something that is doable. It is just something that I have not personally felt compelled or that frustrated. To find to to find the time to reorganize my digital filing system.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, you know when when I stop getting uh, emails. Like you said, it's bad if it's somebody offering a job. But the other thing too is that with GoDaddy, they press me at saying, "Do you want to expand your email storage? You can just pay so much a month." <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't. So they're trying to sell me new services. Yeah, well, I mean, Google wants me to
0: buy storage too, which is why I just emptied out my email. So mm-hmm. I got back three gigabytes, so which will probably give me another year or yeah. t- eighteen months. Because apparently, I had done, I hadn't, didn't see much older than twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen this time.
1: But wow. I didn't really know. Progress. That's
0: cool. Well, yeah, yeah well, I went this. I went through this. Last year, I think obviously it had to have been last year because if there was if I had done it in 2019, I wouldn't have seen 2019 emails. So I must have done it in 2018. And I got rid of oh my gosh, 15 gigabytes of bullshit
2: emails. (laughs) So
0: cool.
2: Yeah. So So do you you feel do you feel more mental space when you get rid of email? Or or how's it compare to working in your physical world, in your physical office and organizing as opposed to doing email type stuff? Um, it's more of a pain in the ass and
0: I'm just glad it's done. And I'm glad it takes slightly less time now because I'm doing it more frequently. Uh. You know, I mean, at least it, when I'm doing it in the physical world, I actually can see like my desk. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and I have like, and I have, like the, the, the six or seven, you know, garbage bags full of paper to recycle, you know. But doing it digitally, it's more, you don't really see it as much. And maybe if I completely reorganize my digital file system, I would feel better about it. But then there's one other thing I wanted to just bitch about. Um, <laughs> I've, had to, I've had to do it several times and I, and I need to do it again. It's organizing my photographs. Yeah. And that's oh. because I guess I picked twice now, I have picked the wrong application to use because it's no it doesn't exist anymore for example uh the first one i used was adobe photo something and it was re- and at one point it was really good it it took all of my pictures and once i told it you know who was who it you know like if i wanted to say find all the pictures of my dad mm. it would find all of the pictures that had him in it mm. And it's like, I don't want to keep having to buy this, a different version of the same software made by another company to do the same thing that I just did, but it's no longer, you know, but the last one I bought um, I think it was like Adobe Photoshop album is what it was called. And they discontinued it, you know, yeah. like 10 years ago. Those <laughs> and bastards. Yeah. It's like, you know, I paid for this thing. It doesn't run on my current OS. And, you know, so I have like this database that's useless and I don't want to have to keep going through that. It's just really annoying. Mm. So that was just my complaint. So, so people, well, if anybody
1: me. knows about <laughs> a photo thing, that's working well, that they should let us know.
0: Yeah, but it, I don't <laughs> trust that it's going to be there in 10 years, you know, when I, when I upgrade a machine or something. So that's the, that's the issue.
1: That's the nature of computers, isn't it? They make uh, everything for op- planned
2: obsolescence. <laughs> so is there an, is there an optimistic spin on this work that we can do that we can like a, a a doable chunk that helps that's practical that helps us get this kind of work done i i guess you know i i do
0: it because i don't want to i'm cheap and i don't want to pay google for more storage you know I, I mean i could potentially pay to keep an infinite number of emails
2: that i would never look at but, yeah. uh, so it kind of gives you the hint that it's time to,
0: yeah. The warning, like, like the I'm work. running out at it, this space is like, Oh, all right. I got to clean, I got to clean house again.
2: <laughs> well, but I guess yeah, that's a, that's a method.
0: <laughs> it is. It it works, it works. for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, you know, I'll complain for the morning and then I'll forget about it and pet the cat and, uh, feel better.
1: So. <laughs> But, you know, it's just a coincidence that I happen to have been doing this in my physical world this week because there are piles and piles and piles of mail all over my house, things that, that my husband left and all. And I've been going through and sorting what's junk and what needs to be filed and what needs to be shredded. And I've been doing that day and night for a week. And you know what? This stuff is dusty, and it gets on your hands, and uh your hands get all kind of mushed up or dried out, and everything. But when you're doing it on the computer, you don't have that reaction so so it's nicer to do on the computer less dust yeah. <laughs> You've been
0: listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Thomas Limoncelli. Web hosting by InMotion. And remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com
1: leftscape. Thanks for listening.